Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. If you have a Bible, go ahead and do me a favor and turn to Proverbs chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, I have worked very hard with many, many slides to make sure that every reference of Scripture will be on the screens for us. And if you're like, I don't look at screens, um, then just cozy up to the person next to you and introduce yourself first so it's not weird, and then you guys can share a Bible together. Proverbs 16. The prominent theme uh, of Proverbs 16 revolves around the plans that we make and the ways that we choose to go. And here's the deal. Um, decisions are part of the human experience. Like making plans and deciding the path that we want to take is all part of what it means to be alive. It's how every single person in this room ended up in this room. And decisions can be really fun, but they can also be debilitating, depending on where you're at and whatever decision you need to make. And I don't know about you, but for me, it kind of feels like recently, in in like the last, I mean, post-COVID years, Every decision that I'm being faced with is always this big, life-altering decision. And with those decisions, in my mind, comes questions like, I don't know, what what do I do? Like, I I think I'm a capable human being, and then I get faced with something that I'm like, I I don't know, what do I do? Or I ask the question, what's God's will for my life? And we ask those questions because fundamentally, like, deep down, we we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to make the wrong decision, and then be set on, like, the wrong path forever. And so we just want to know, like, how do I make a good decision? Now, throughout my vocation as a pastor, um, people have come to me and do come to me for advice or counsel regarding their decisions and the plans that they're making for their life. And in Christian spaces, most of the time, there's a presupposition that this person carries with them, like Santa Claus's massive sack. They, They carry it with them into the room, And it's a presupposition about God and his will that as they're talking, they just kind of drop it on my lap. In Christian spaces, this happens a lot. And it's it's the baggage or the belief of what we call the conventional view of God and his will. Now, what that basically says is that God has a detailed plan for our lives that he hides from us. And our job is to find out what his will or his plan is for us. And so effectively, life just becomes like a scavenger hunt or an escape room where we live our lives thinking that like, we have to get every clue in order in order to like, unlock the next stage. And if we don't get the right answer at the right time, then we're going to miss out on God's best for us. And we're going to end up living like God's plan B or plan C or plan F for us as a form of punishment. Now, in all the people that I have talked to who've come to me for counsel and advice, no one has ever admitted that that's what they believe. No one has come and said, this is how I view life in God. But functionally, that's the way they're living. Functionally, that's the way many of us live. Where instead of enjoying life, we're led to an unhealthy questioning of everything. 
And so we ask ourselves incessant questions like, did I go to the wrong school? Did I mess up by picking this major or this career path? Should I be working in this office or this office on the Hill? Am I sure I'm dating the right person right now? Like I met him through Bumble, but what if it should have been Hinge? Or even like, am I in the right city? And we even see this manifested in the decision of which metro to take in the morning. Like, if you go, if you're like, I'm a blue, silver, orange person, right? So you're standing there and you, and you know, if I take the silver line, I will get to work on time. But if I wait three minutes and take the blue line, I might meet my soulmate. So I could be on time for work, but I would miss meeting my soulmate. And we're so paralyzed by the what if, or like, what's God's will? What am I supposed to do in this moment? We miss them both and are stuck on the orange line. So we get no soulmate and we're late to work. And we're like, this is the worst Monday of my life. Decisions like this paralyze us. And I, I hope you're seeing, at least in the way that I'm painting this picture, there is a lot of unhelpful and unwise baggage that we bring with us into our decision-making process. And so before we even get to our text in Proverbs 16 today, I want to take a minute to just dispel and disavow this conventional view of God and God's will from influencing our lives at all. And hopefully at the onset, free some people up in here today to be able to hear God's word and respond with courageous faith. So let me just give you three uh, problems that I have, that God has with the conventional view of God and his will. First, it's not in the Bible. I wanna go second, but let me just tease this out a little bit. The Bible never once tells us to be preoccupied with the details of tomorrow. Never tells us to try to figure out what God's future will for us is. In fact, Jesus, who is God in flesh, said on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, verses 33 to 34, he says, seek first above all else God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all those other things will be added to you. The wisdom of God himself goes against this conventional view of God and his will that says, you gotta figure it out, you gotta find everything. Jesus goes, no, I didn't say that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So secondly, the second problem I have is it leads to an unhealthy preoccupation with the future. One where we're so fixated on what's next or whatever the next thing will be that we're unable to be present or even faithful in the present because we're always consumed with what's next, so we're never fully really here. And third, it implies that God is cruel. How cruel is it of God to go, hey, listen, I love you, I saved you, and I have a plan for your life, but I'm not gonna tell you what it is. And then he creates this elaborate, massive maze where your spiritual maturity is measured by how fast you can solve his puzzles. Friends, again, please, before we even start, we are not meant to grope in the darkness or go through the, the maze of life looking for hidden directions. Jesus came as the light of the world who illuminates our darkness and who bids us to follow him on the road to wisdom and in him find life. So that's what I want to do today. I want us to follow Jesus into the text of Proverbs 16 onto the road of wisdom and abandon maybe that, that faulty presupposition that we carry about God and his will, understanding it's not biblical. It goes against the word of God, the character of God, and it's not God's best for us. And instead, 
trace the theme of wisdom that we find in Proverbs 16. Wisdom for our plans and our ways and our decisions. So let me preface one more thing. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because that's not how Proverbs works. Proverbs is literally hundreds of individual Proverbs that are just fired off. It's Solomon just shotgunning God's wisdom. And occasionally there are these themes, these threads that that we can pick up. So we're going to trace the theme or the thread of this chapter as it relates to our plans, our decisions, and what God is doing. Does that sound good? So I have the verses on the screen for you. I'm not going to reference them. I'm just going to read it, and then we'll pray and get into this. Starting in verse 1, we read, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we come to you tonight aware hopefully aware, if not fully aware, that you are infinitely wise. And that, God, you are aware of every detail in our lives. So, God, not only are you sovereign, but you are good and you are trustworthy. You care about every person in this room and you concern yourself with the things that concern us. God, we've come here to your word, ready to hear and be guided by your wisdom to help us face and plan in the midst of all the decisions that we face. God, we want to become wise. Help us to discern your leading and and leave here not just with a better understanding of what we need to do, but a better understanding of who you are. So God, open our eyes through your word and fill us with your spirit. Transform us by your grace and give us courage to take steps of faith for your glory. We pray all of this. Appeal all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So start in verse 1. Verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now those two words of plans and answer, they share the same prefix in Hebrew. This is intimidating because I know one person in here who speaks Hebrew, so if I get this wrong, I'm going to hear about it. Not saying names. But the prefix is ma. So if you're speaking Hebrew to somebody and you say makore, it means like, how you doing or what's up? It's the ma means like what or how. So you just learned Hebrew. You're welcome, unless it's wrong, which I'm sorry, but I don't think it is. So what Solomon has done here, he's intentionally placed this prefix, ma, right here in the, in the words of plans and answers. He's employing this in a really clever way because he's wanting to get the attention of the reader and teach us an essential lesson about our plans and God's role. So what you see on the screen there is that plans is the word ma'arak. It's, it's what or how that we're pursuing. Those are our plans. But answers is ma'ane. It's saying the what or the how that you're pursuing is found in God and his wisdom. So you have the what. It's been entrusted to you, the what and the how. But if you want good solutions for your what, it's found in pursuing God. 
Now, in the verses that we read in, in Proverbs 16, a handful of them reference plans specifically. We have in verses 1, verses 3, and verses 9, every time there's the word and the mention of plans. Now, in English, it's the same word, but in Hebrew, it's three different words. Three different perspectives on this one word. It's kind of like this. If I tell you, I love my wife, you're going to go, oh, that's so cute. And then I say, I also love tacos. You're like, okay, cool, me too. But if I tell you that I love my wife like I love tacos, you're like, bro, something's wrong with you. You're like, those two forms of love should be a bit different. The perspectives change. It's kind of like what we have here with the words of plans. In verse 1, the word that Solomon uses for plans speaks of our preparations. Again, it's the what and the how that we're pursuing. In verse 3, he uses a word that means like our dreams and our purposes, like our what and why for life. So we get a little bit bigger view. And in verse 9, it's our calculations or how we intend to accomplish our plans and our dreams and our purposes. So catch this, okay? The book of Proverbs, this book of God's wisdom that was penned by King Solomon, who was renowned the world over for his grasp of God's wisdom, says right here at the opening of chapter 16 that the plans of the heart, all the different types of plans that you see on the screen, those belong to each person. That is, God has entrusted all of that to our stewardship. So here's what that means. Your preparations are not evil. Your dreams and purposes are not evil. Your calculations, not inherently evil. What we do with them can be. But God has entrusted those things to our stewardship. He's given each one of us the ability to plan and dream and ponder how we're going to accomplish what is in our heart to do. But, the end of verse 1 says, the answer, or the what, the how, and the why that we're seeking will not, cannot, is not found apart from God. It's only discovered when we press into God and seek his wisdom. And this isn't foreign to Solomon. He repeats this theme and reiterates this theme over and over. The, the proverb that many of us know or have heard before, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, is the foundation of this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. This is Solomon saying, guys, let's acknowledge that we have limited understanding and we need God's wisdom. That's the path toward finding true wisdom, and that's the path toward having our steps be established. The answers we need, the beginning of wisdom in making our plans and our decisions is found by first going to the word of God and in talking with God. Now, as we trace through this chapter, I'm going to be diving into five different ways that we obtain wisdom. These are ways that we find in this chapter, but also uh, resound and reverberate throughout the rest of Scripture as well. So let's start here. Wisdom is obtained as we first receive and respond to God's Word. Now, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is God's Word that reveals God's will and God's wants for our lives. The Bible tells us that God created us and he loves us and he communicates with us. And it's by listening to him through his word that our priorities align with his good purposes. Psalm 119 puts it like this. Psalm 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
That is, it shows us where we're at and shows us where we're going. The lamp is, is kind of like what we think of today. It, like, think of you holding a lamp, although it wouldn't look like this in the ancient world. A lamp is good to illuminate the, the few feet around you and in front of you. It shows you where you're standing. But it's also a light to your path. It's, it's that torch or that's that flashlight that shines out ahead and reveals to you where the path is at, what's safe and what's good terrain and what's not good terrain. That's how God's word functions in the life of a follower of God. It has purpose in our lives as we receive it and respond to it. Paul says it like this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's theopanoustos. And it's profitable. It's good for us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the follower of God may be complete or mature and equipped for every good work. So I want to break down what it's profitable for so that we don't get lost in, in the beauty of that paragraph. God's word is good. It's profitable for us to teach us what is right morally and theologically. That's what teaching or doctrine is in your Bible. It's good for teaching us what is wrong. That's what reproof is. For teaching us how to get right. That's correction. And teaching us how to stay right or how to be sanctified. That's training in righteousness. And Paul says God does all of this through his word for one purpose. He does this to make you and I fitted and furnished or move in ready for God's wisdom, for God to work. That's the role of his word in our lives. Wisdom is found in receiving and responding to God's word. Now, originally, I had written in my notes, uh, instead of receiving and responding, just listening to God's word. And while hearing God speak from his word is important, we can't just be hearers of the word. We've got to be doers also. If that sounds familiar, it's because you've read the book of James. God's wisdom is discovered and applied as we hear and respond with faith in action. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1. He says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, and once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. He says, let us prove ourselves to be doers or receivers and responders to God's word. Because just being hearers, just observing what God's word says and then walking the other direction, like, oh, that was interesting. Or hearing God's word and going, yeah, that's for somebody else. That's the path of willful self-deception. Well, we're basically like the people who look in a mirror, immediately forget what they look like when they turn around, and then like, uh, do I have facial hair? What color is my hair again? Am I wearing clothes? And they just forget everything about themselves. And we're meant to go, that is an absurd example. And James goes, yeah, you're learning. I want you to see how absurd it is to think that we will see God clearly or see ourselves clearly if we only hear or observe God's word but don't actually live it out. It's absurd that we would try to live that way. James is, is beckoning all who are interested, all who are thirsty to come to Jesus. And he's saying, if you want to grow in your understanding of God, then get in his word. 
and take what you're reading in the scriptures and resolve to embody it in your everyday life. And I like how James, like we, we might hear that and go, Eric, that sounds restrictive. Like I have to conform to this thing? Okay, that, that's not restrictive. Like James hits it right on the head because in verse 25, he rightfully calls God's word the law of freedom. What he's saying is that God's word is what frees us to more fully be who God created us to be. And as we walk in faith-filled response to what God says, look at the end of of verse, in verse 25. As we walk in faith-filled response to what God says as a doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. God's blessing follows us as we walk in faith-filled response. That's very similar language to Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we follow the voice of the good shepherd, he follows us with his blessing. So the way of wisdom is found initially in hearing the answer from the Lord from verse one, which is found first in the word of God. Secondly, we obtain wisdom by talking with God. We're constant in prayer. Man, the way of wisdom is found in talking with God about your plans. I'm not saying that prayer replaces planning, but I am saying that it does reprioritize planning. And this act of reprioritizing is one that God has had me revisit often with people here in our community of faith. If the default posture of our being is to make our plans and then pray for God to bless our plans and co-sign on our plans that we've made and decided without him, if that's our default way of being, that tells me that there's something in our soul that is malfunctioning. There's something wrong if we are gonna be the people of God and go, here are my plans. I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. I've I've already figured out, God, all I need you to do is rubber stamp it, just co-sign on my lease for me real quick and I'm just gonna get out of your way. I don't find in in God's word that that's the way of wisdom. Instead, the way of wisdom is to incorporate God into your plans by prayer. As you're thinking, as you're processing, as you're making calculations, as you're dreaming, as you're thinking about what your purposes could be, it's just inviting God into that process and going, God, are are my plans your plans? Am I wanting what you want right now or am I just off the rails? You see, church, prayer in our plans and decision-making, it's been the posture and practice of God's people for the ages. From Proverbs to King David to the Apostle Paul. In fact, in in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, that Dev uh, read as part of our liturgy, we find King David there praying these words, Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. He starts by saying, God, help me to see and know your ways. I'm unable of doing this on my own. I need your help. And then he pushes a little further and says, God, teach me. Train me to recognize your voice when you speak. Train me to see your footprints or the paths and where they lead. And then lead me, God, walk before me. Show me the way that you're going so that I can follow you at your pace toward your good direction. And then he says to me what is critical to this whole passage, for on you I wait all day long. He says, God, 
I want you to help me. I want you to teach me. I want you to lead me, but I will wait to move until you move. I will wait for you. This is a posture of a man who doesn't craft all his plans and then go, God bless it, I made it for you. He goes, God, I've planned and I'm, I'm trying to be involved here, but I wanna wait until I see you move and I wanna follow you. Paul writes effectively the same thing to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter four. He pleads with people saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says in everything, in our plans, our processing, our decisions, to use the meaning of Proverbs, in the what, how, and why that we're trying to figure out in life, prayer is essential for experience, not only God's direction, but God's peace as we seek his direction. I love that God's protective peace is promised to those who pray. And so before we move on, let me just say this. If you're somebody who's in the middle of a big life decision right now, and big is relative. What's big to you may not be big to me and vice versa, but if it's big for you right now and you're like, I don't know what to do, pray. And if you don't know what to pray because of all the unknowns in your life right now, pray things that you know that God wants for you. Pray that, instead, instead of praying that God would open a door and do all these miraculous things and have miracles happen in the sky, pray that God would make you the type of person who can walk through a door when it opens so that you can flourish for his glory and your good. Pray that God would grow your faith and transform your character. Because this is a, maybe a little known secret. What Proverbs is about, what wisdom is about, it's not about intelligence, it's about character. Wisdom has nothing to do with intelligence, it has everything to do with character. That feeds our third point that we're gonna tease out, that wisdom is focused on building daily character more than finding answers. That's the whole point of wisdom. And if you're wondering how can I say that confidently, I stole it from Solomon. In Proverbs chapter one, verse three, Solomon has given this introduction about who he is and why he's writing this book. And then he says in verse three, the purpose of Proverbs is for every reader to know wisdom and receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and in equity. Those words, righteousness, justice, and equity speak of becoming a virtuous person. At the onset of this book of wisdom, the author says that wisdom is about character above all else. Wisdom is not about intelligence, it's about character. And I'm re reiterating that because there, there's, there's this assumption that wise people are smart people. But if you've lived long enough, you know that it is possible to be very smart and be an idiot. We might be thinking of people right now or we're like, oh my gosh, I think I'm, that's me too. Wisdom has nothing to do with the intelligence or the, the knowledge that we've accumulated. And in fact, as you read through Proverbs, there's this repeated contrast of the wise and the fool. And this contrast is always depicted to teach us a lesson about what, who is who and what is what and why it is the way it is. Here's what I mean by that. When it comes to wisdom, the fool is depicted not as a person who can't learn, 
but as a person who won't learn. And through this repeated contrast in the book of Proverbs, it becomes clear. Wisdom is not about intelligence. It's about willingness. Wisdom is not, do you know what God says? Wisdom is, are you willing to yield yourself to what God says? Are you willing to let God's word and his ways shape your character and your pursuits? That's the way of the wise. It feeds into what verse two says here, that all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The idea here is that we are far more concerned with our lives and what we want and where we're going and how we're gonna get there, but God is far more concerned about who we are and who we're becoming along the way. See, Solomon has started, because Solomon is a man, he's a person just like us, with the same proclivity toward foolishness that we have. And as he's looking at his own life and he's looking objectively at life across the board with God's wisdom, he's looking and saying, God has entrusted with the, to us the ability to make plans, to steward our decisions. And we can do what we want, but we're so self-obsessed with our plans and our decisions. We don't think about who we're becoming in the process, but that's all God is thinking about in the process. God isn't concerned about the destination. He's concerned about you in, the, in, in the, the process of getting to that destination. Because God's wisdom is about building character. That's the heartbeat behind this divine invitation to live into God's wisdom. It's an invitation to live more fully into the person that you were created to be as we listen to God's word and respond in faith. As we talk with God in prayer, we work on, let the Holy Spirit work in our lives to craft a godly character in us. And this feeds our next point of how we obtain wisdom. But to get there, turn with me to verse 25. In verse 25, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I think the key word there is seems. It's a word that's pregnant with meaning. Because when we are left to our own, when we don't create space for the counsel of other people, our plans, our thoughts, our decisions, they all seem pretty good, huh? Like, my thought process is usually, no one's disagreeing with me, so this must be a great idea. Well, no one's disagreeing with me because I have told no one else about it. But as soon as I do tell someone about it, usually my wife, she's like poking holes in this sucker left and right. Not because she hates me, but because she's like, do you think about this? And you didn't really consider this. And I'm like, am I even a man? And she's like, yes, you're a man. You're just a fool. And I'm like, that hurts, you know? That's the process. When you let other people in, it helps uh, help shape a wisdom around an area where there previously wasn't. Again, the contrast of the wise and the fool is set up to illustrate this way of wisdom for us. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. The contrast. The way of wisdom creates space for other people to speak into our life and our choices. The way of foolishness doubles down on our decisions and goes against counsel. Says, I don't need your help, I got this. I'm gonna keep going in this direction. There was an article I read years ago, it was published in 2018. <laughs> it was conducted upon, uh, among Europeans in major cities. And so obviously you're in major cities in Europe, you're gonna get a smattering of answers and perspectives. But they were all asked this one question how are you able to spot an American in your city? 
And the answers were hilarious. And you distilled it, the, the, the research distilled it all down to this. You can tell who's an American by the way in which they confidently walk in the wrong direction. And I've never felt so seen in my life. But as, the, as you read the testimonies underneath about why they had these answers, there were countless testimonies that poured in about Americans who travel abroad, talk to a local to get directions, and then go, man, I'll just find it on my own, and ignore the advice they were just given by the person who lives there and walks in the wrong direction saying, I got this. I've got my phone and I've got myself. I don't need anything else. That is the perfect modern-day encapsulization of foolishness. And so it's how we get our fourth point of seeking, uh, of obtaining wisdom is we need to seek out wise counsel. So many of our big decisions are made in isolation. If you hear nothing else tonight, please hear this. Isolation is Satan's counterfeit to God's good gift of solitude. In solitude, we withdraw to be alone with God and wait on him. But in isolation, we withdraw to insulate ourselves from each other and end up insulating ourselves from God as well. Isolation is not the place for us to make large decisions. We need to seek wise counsel. Proverbs speaks of this in a few other places. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, multitude of advisors, there's success. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, we read, where there's no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. This is going to sound trite on the heels of 2020 and all of like the we're all in this together language that we heard then uh, and I and got sick of. But in the truest sense, uh, we are better together than we are alone. And God has made me, he's made you to need other people. We need the help of each other. Because we are more our true selves when we are together than when we are alone. Speaking words of life and wisdom into each other. And frankly, we need each other and I need other people because we all have blind spots in our lives. We all have these areas of our character and our thinking where we can't see clearly. And so we need the help of other godly people who can see and address our blind spots with the gospel so that we can find healing and keep moving forward in faith. If your mind works like mine, which I hope it doesn't, you're probably thinking, okay, like that sounds great, but Eric, like who do I let in? Because I can't just let everybody into my life. That's just not practical, man. I can't trust everybody. It's fair. The people we let into our life and what wise counselors look like, I think is summed up pretty well in Proverbs 27, 17, which says, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. What that means is you want people around you that will cause you to grow as a person and as a follower of God. You want people whose presence in your life, whose speaking in your life, whose actions in your life help you become more of who God has made you to be and prepares you to do more of what God has called you to do. We think of iron sharpening iron, we think of like the friction And there is friction. It's uncomfortable at times. That doesn't give us a license to be like, ah, I'm going to be the friend that speaks the truth in love. Let me tell you why you're an idiot. And you just like start saying mean things like, I'm doing it in the name of God, brother. Like, no, you're crazy. 
What iron sharpening iron is, you have to understand, those weren't just two random metals that were being flung at each other. They were in the hand of their maker. And they were being purposefully, skillfully used for each other. If we take that in our lives and our understanding of God, there are people that God has placed in your life that he wants to purposefully use you and use them to help sharpen each other, to help with a little bit of friction become more of the person, more of the purpose that God has personed and purposed you to be. And this won't be on the screens, but I've written down three and maybe four, I don't know yet, um, people of like what these people look like. I think they're people who know three, three things really well. Uh, first, they know you very well. Your iron sharpens iron people are going to know you well. That means they know your strengths and your weaknesses. They know your tendencies. They're not caught off guard by your behavior. Secondly, they know your circumstance well. These are people who have a good track record of dealing with what you're dealing with, or they're right there in the circumstance with you. They know what's going on around you because they're standing in it with you. They know you well. They know your circumstance well. Thirdly, they know your leadership. Whether it's in your church or your community or in your life, they know the ones who are speaking to your life in that way, and they're willing to say, yes, that's of God, or no, that's not of God. I'm going to add a fourth because, uh, why not? They know the word God. They know the word of God well. You want people who know you well, your circumstances well, your leadership well, and know God's word well. There are countless times where um, pastorally or even in, as friends, people come to me for advice, and I'm like, I have none. And so I'm like, hey, I don't know, but can I just read you what God's word said today? And they're like, it's not going to help. And I'm like, I know, but can we just try? And then we read it, and then we both start crying because we're like, God, you're so good. It speaks to me where I'm at. God's word is good for all places and all people and all seasons. And you want people in your life who will speak God's word over you and into you to help you be in function according to all that God's called you to be in function. The way of wisdom is to let people into your life by seeking wise counsel, receiving their counsel, and also being that counsel for them. Okay, so, so far, it is really hot in here. I'm going to use this. So far, we have, uh, we have that we've, Wisdom is obtained by receiving and responding to God's word. I'm about to get Pentecostal with this. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Being constant in prayer. Wisdom is focused on building daily character more than finding answers. And we seek out wise counsel. It would be enough to stop there, but I, we can't miss what this, the Solomon is telling us to do as the fifth, and I would argue the most vital step in this whole process. After we do all of those things, He says in verse 7 and 33, make a decision and then rest in the sovereign care of God. At some point, we're going to have to make a decision. We can't just be like, God, I did all the other steps. Will you just make it for me? Like, I I would love if God did that. But that's not the life of faith. We have to make a decision at some point. So three more verses I want to share with you, and then we'll we'll part ways. In verse 7, It speaks to this when it says, when a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I read that and I go, God, I want to please you, but I don't always know how. And then I remember Hebrews 11, 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So how can my ways please you, Lord? Very simply, when I walk by faith. When we walk by faith, when we say we trust God with our plans and our desires and our dreams and our decisions, that's the way of wisdom that pleases God. It's not gonna say, I got this, I'm gonna figure it out all by myself. It's saying, Lord, I don't know, but I wanna honor you, so help me to trust you with the things that I don't know yet. And we read here that when we do that, God shows his pleasure towards us. And he does so by making our enemies to be at peace with us. Literally, in Hebrew, that's an idiom in verse seven that means God enfolds that person with peace. As we please the Lord and walk by faith in our decisions and say, God, I don't know, but I know that you are capable. Even that small act, God goes, I've got you. And he enfolds us in his sovereign care and peace and protection. And this is punctuated for us in verse 33. It really punctuates all the wisdom that we've gleaned thus far. Solomon says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So in the ancient world, lots were like little pebbles that were used to make decisions. Effectively, let's think of it as like rolling the dice. It's referenced a few times in the Old Testament. So effectively, if you are rolling the dice to decipher God's will, here Solomon goes, listen, you can roll the dice with your life, but even its every decision is of the Lord who's in control. So instead of rolling the dice, learn to trust the Lord who's sovereign and good with your life. The lot is cast into the lap. Yeah, sure, you can roll the dice if you want to, but its every decision is of the Lord. But it's far better to trust the Lord than to just roll the dice. This is what he alluded to earlier. When we trust the Lord and what that looks like, it's what he alluded to earlier in verse three, and this is where we'll end. He says in verse three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now this wisdom is eerily similar to the wisdom of Solomon's dad, King David, who in Psalm 37, verse five, said, commit your way to the Lord, trust him and he will act. Solomon says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Together, these two men are painting a picture that whatever you do, however you do it, wherever you're at, that when you commit your work and your way to the Lord, God will not only establish your plans, but he will, as he says in verse nine of Proverbs 16, he will also establish your steps. That is, God will take you to where he wants you to be while working in you who you need to be. That's the promised blessing of wisdom from God who is sovereign and good. So we seek God in his word. We talk with God about our plans. We pursue character instead of answers. We seek counsel from other people. We make a decision. But there's one thing that nagged at me all week, which was really funny to me. I'm preparing a sermon on how to make a decision, and I'm like, I don't know how to decide this next part. And I'm like, I, did, I did, forgot to even follow the steps. And so then I start following the steps and I get caught in the own web of decision-making again. The thing that nagged at me was the question that I've come to a lot that has prevented me from walking in faith. What if I make a stupid decision? Or what if I'm wrong? What do I do then? Like, what, what if I do all of those five things and it's still the wrong thing to do? For me... I land on the profound hope of a verse that never gets old. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things should be highlighted or underlined or circled in your Bible. All things in Greek, it literally means all things. So everything. God works everything, even my bad choices and sinful, stupid choices. He works all things together for his good and glory. In God's grace and in his sovereignty, he directs all things, even our missteps and our failures, to work out for his good purposes. And that doesn't mean we're immune from experiencing some of the consequences of our bad decisions, but it does mean that God redeems those decisions. God's love and his sovereignty are so great that not even you and I at our worst can mess it up. And that is the wisdom and the good news that is available to us in the gospel that is found as we follow Jesus into the book of Proverbs when it comes to our plans, our ways, and our decisions. This is God's word to us tonight, and it is good. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would make us wise. We've got a lot of decisions in front of us, Lord, and we want to live well. God, will you help us to be a people of godly character? Regardless of what life looks like right now, Lord, let us not allow our circumstances to be that thing that enables us to be the worst version of ourselves. God, we want to worship you in what we say and what we do and the ways that we live. And so, Lord, as we prayed before, fill us with your spirit, transform us by your grace and gave us courage to take steps of faith for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.